This program was produced with the support of StoryHive, creativity connected by TELUS. For more information, please visit storyhive.com. Well, I'm in over my head, no one told me. Trying to keep my footprint small was harder than I thought it could be. I'm in over my head, what do I really need? Trying to save the planet, oh, will someone please save me? Trying to save the planet, oh, will someone please save me? Welcome to In Over My Head. I'm Michael Bartz. My guest today is John Chiefcalf. John is an unassuming and insightful leader who possesses a deep understanding of how to bring community together. In his role as secondary FNMI lead teacher over the past two years, Chiefcalf has demonstrated the ability to infuse Indigenous ways in Lethbridge School District Number 51. Well respected as an educator and role model in the realm of professional learning, Chief Calf understands successful leaders bring people together to achieve common goals. So welcome to In Over My Head, John. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for uh, having me with this interview. For sure. So the reason I brought you on to this conversation is, so for me, I'm, I'm building this off-grid tiny home. I want to save the planet, and I feel in over my head. And, and I feel like so much of the conversation is about technology and how do we fix this and how do we you know, do that with something and build something and... And so I thought I'd just bring another side of it. I was reading a book called, it was from Wade Davis. He's an anthropologist, a Canadian anthropologist. And it's called The Wayfinders. And it's about why traditional societies matter now. And a lot of it is about environmentalism. So I thought I would bring you in and talk about, from a traditional Blackfoot perspective, um, the environment and, and how we could possibly talk about saving the planet in, from your view. So uh, my first question for you is, how does the traditional Blackfoot culture view nature? Well, I just wanted to uh, uh, again, you know, to just backtrack a little bit. Sure. Um, so my my uh, my grandfather, and my father, uh, they never really spoke Blackfoot. Okay. So my understanding is that through that language and through the description of that language and nature, the the two are related. Except the only difference with that language is that you're really looking at nature as a as a complete animate system so um so just to kind of express a little bit of the i guess you could say the confusion when i was going to school here in lethbridge is that if i was to look um like for example if i was to say uh sun and and the blackfoot uh the, the english translation for sun and blackfoot would be not do see but if I'm sort of a, understanding it from a Blackfoot perspective, it, it encompasses a, a process. So it would be sun, not dutsi. Uh, it it uh, provides uh, the right circumstance uh, for us to be here. So uh, some, of the, some of the understanding about Blackfoot interpretation is that uh meaning a creator there's a creative there's a it, it creates things and then it's about to be open meaning uh from what i understood a source of life meaning the the energy of the myths uh what it does for vegetation uh uh all the things that uh it does for the earth and for the human body and then uh what it's also considered too is that 
sant meaning uh, medicinal. Uh, what it does, it uh, nourishes things. So the appreciation then becomes uh, I, I appreciate that intelligent system. So through the Blackfoot language, from what I understand, its nature is an intelligent system. And, and so if it's an intelligent system, then there are teachings in that system. So part of that system then teaches you how to survive in this environment, which, uh, which of course, can, can change quite fast. Teaches you how to uh, survive in, in, in uh, the winter and all the other things. And so you start to realize that the whole, um, well, at least for me, you start, I start to realize that it really, nature really is an intelligent system. So you would respect it as you would another human being. So if you take something from nature, you put something back in its place. Um, in a sense, you, you try to continue to maintain an, an, an ecological imbalance, an ecological balance, wherever your environment that you're in. So I remember when I was a kid, uh, we uh, when we were kids, we used to go and pick all the um, the driftwood, and we used to pile it up beside the house. Um, we would burn certain parts of the grass, um, so it'd be green. This way, there wouldn't be any rattlesnakes nearby where we were at. Uh, the the choke cherries were nearby. We went hunting uh, for deer. Um, we went fishing when I was kids. Uh, me and my buddy, we used to go fishing uh, at the St. Maris River, and we would uh, we would hunt pike. And so, all of those things were were natural. Um, and and the river was still quite clean. I remember as kids, we would pick colored rocks and throw them in the water and, and jump in with our eyes open to, to look which rock we threw in. So again, it, it, it's that whole uh, connection to land, that, uh, it, uh, that relationship. And of course, you start to look at it sometimes in sequence and in patterns as well. And so I, I remember asking, uh, you know, one of my uh, uncles years ago, why is the circle so important? And that the language, from what I understand, is based as a circular system, meaning that a lot of your entry points can come in from anywhere as well as your exit points. Um, so, for example, uh, the sun is round, stars are round, the trees are round, uh, the ant hills is round, spider webs, rocks, rivers have semicircles, nests are round. Uh, and if you start to look at things around nature, the evidence in nature suggests that uh, life is cyclical, circular. So, your child, adolescent, adult, old age. 
So your mind transitions almost like from childhood to childhood. So it becomes cyclical again. But as I, as I keep trying to understand the language more and more, um, I remember when I was a child, I used to uh, look outside the window and I'd see my grandfather on a, on a morning when the sun rises orange. And uh, I, I used to hear him talk. Um, and I was wondering why he was uh, talking to the sun. And so, and I noticed that the, that the morning they'd, they'd be in orange, the clouds would be orange, the ground would almost be like orange. And what he was doing, as I found out later, is that he was assessing his life from the sun's perspective. And, and so with those, because now they're not just one perspective anymore, they're two perspectives. Um, it, he's not just thinking about himself, he's thinking about his family and he's thinking about the environment. And so, when those things were put into perspective, what is your human connection to the environment and what is your non-human connection to the environment? And those perspectives, I thought, were really unique. So, um, so hierarchy, I guess you could say it wasn't really about hierarchy, it was more about pursuit of balance in that perspective. And so I, 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 you know, to this day, I still think it's a really, really interesting way for me to, to look at nature as, as a form of balance. And, and then, you know, there are, are small little things that, that still seem to help me personally. I, I, I seem to think a lot better in, in, in natural environments as opposed to man-made environments. Um, yeah, and, and little questions start to come up sort of about just the indigenous uh, cultural perspective. And uh, I remember uh, a couple of years ago uh, having a discussion with some teachers. And uh, the, the, one of the teachers said that, uh, why, why is it that you don't interrupt uh, like a, another person when they're talking, specifically a, 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 an, an an old person, an elder, as we would call today. And I basically said that um, it, it's based on, on respect, from what I understand. And, and I had a hard time explaining that. So what we did was a group of us, I think it was yeah, five of us, we, we uh, drove out to the reserve like 4.30 in the morning, and we just sat there. Uh, we didn't say a word. Um, all of a sudden, the, the coyotes were yelping, and then, you know, 500 yards behind us, another group were yelping. So, it, and then another group about a, a kilometer down the road. Again, all of that was done in sequence. And then when the coyotes were done, then the birds started chirping. Another set of birds started chirping. And then as the sun was coming up, a group of birds flew up in one direction of the hill, another group of birds flew up in another direction of the hill. And then they flew together in front of us, and then they flew away. So the idea is that 
it's um, if I had spoken any time in between that time, we wouldn't have understood the full concept. We wouldn't have understood the full idea of how nature communicates and wakes up. So, and the idea is that you start to see nature through conversation as as a cooperative system. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a different way that I grew up. So, yeah, and from what you're talking about now, for me, I really hear the word respect coming out quite a bit, respecting nature, respecting the environment. Do you feel like that's out of balance now with the way things are, that we're not respecting nature the way we should be? Well, I would have to say yes, because mostly because of what it's, what it's done to, to me in a different sense. Um, you know, because, you know, again, growing up with um, the Blackfoot language, it it's, expresses itself as a circular system. As, as based on a relationship that everything is connected and that there's really no hierarchical order because your frames of references could be anywhere. It could be the sun, could be an eagle, eagle's perspective, uh, observing two rivers go down side by side that eventually come together. Like there, there's different ways to express wisdom through nature as well, through listening and observation. But then I... When I attended all my education in Lethbridge, um, I had to understand a, a hierarchy order. And so now um, frames of references were now separate. Were now I was taught that nature is an animate and inanimate system as opposed to Blackfoot, it's a complete animate system. So, you know, through no fault of my teachers, when I was going to school, they they just didn't understand the indigenous frame of reference. And no fault through my, my grandfather and father, who never spoke English, didn't understand the frame of reference from an educational standpoint. So, in that, I think the balance hopefully a lot I'm finding is 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 happening but it has to happen through conversation to begin with and and so I just don't think we've had that conversation uh I think we've had that conversation in pockets but I think those are conversations that can begin to happen um so I I would have to say that there is not a battle mm-hmm. and do you think having those larger conversations is that a way to possibly as I say save the planet but to, to help with climate change, to make things more balanced, possibly? I, I think so. I mean, I, I, what I would have to say is that it, it helps to sort of reframe and reassess how we can understand nature and, and, and respect nature a lot more. Um, again, with, with perspective, um, I, you know, I, I remember um, you know, in, in high school, a group of friends of mine came out to the reserve the, uh, that I knew in, in Lethbridge and we were having coffee sitting outside and uh, uh, one of my friends had says you know John how come you don't have a lawn and I, I, I so I said I told him well, I, I don't understand why would you have a lawn yeah. <laughs> so I said the lawn is like to me is, is the hills uh, the river the, the natural environment 
And what, what was his response to why? Well, his response from what I remember is that he still could not understand that concept. He says, you, you, you should have a fence. You should have like green. And I said, no, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, so it was really interesting, um, you know, but, and then I, I come to his house and, you know, he has a, you know, a really beautiful lawn. I, I, again, uh, the good part about that friendship is that we were able to talk and, and, and to create some understanding. And then I remember uh, a couple of months down the road, he would say, uh, I remember him calling me, we were talking, and he says, well, when I have my own house, I may not have a lawn. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, again, uh, unique insights, I think, really come with, with, uh, with friendships as well. Mm-hmm. And, and again, being able to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also having seen both sides of it, right? Because from his perspective, having a lawn make perfect sense. And for you, it just didn't. So, and is either right? Well, I guess in this context, I would say no lawn is better from an environmental standpoint because they're pretty useless. But yeah, I think you're right. Having that connection and those friendships and having meaningful conversations that are productive, I think is, is a good thing as well. I just, yeah, I, it was interesting because um, you know, it, it's amazing how I would have to say that, you know, the, the more understanding that we got of each other, uh, the more that we began to sort of ask some questions and, and, and explore things that I think that sort of was uh, educational in a, in a different sense for, for myself and, and for the group of individuals there. and. So when when I'm in the system here, and I'm trying to, you know, e- express um, sort of a, an indigenous perspective, my my understanding is that uh, nature is the foundation, and that if we if we listen to that process, and if we look at, you know, what does balance mean, uh, respecting nature, not taking things away, just kind of have some natural environments, then there's something to be learned from that. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you're making progress with those conversations? Are people receptive? Well, I'm, I'm starting to find that um, those conversations are starting to happen. But one of the things about the Blackfoot language, which I think um, with, with people fi- finding it difficult to understand, is that in from my understanding, in order to understand the Blackfoot language, you have to experience the language. Hmm. Um, very much like the way we went to go listen to nature wake up. Um, even some of the, the some of the words uh, that are descriptive, like uh, if I was to say "oh uh, and I would say "oh." There's almost like the sound of the wind of the, the prefix of that word, oh, and then bo, bo. It's a, it's a soft bounce. The wind is hitting you soft, oh, bo. Then the suffix of that word, bo, ga, child. Oh, bo, bo, ga, soft wind. So when you talk to a child, soft tone. Hmm. So, and again, it, it, 
you're experiencing that word in nature. When you experience that those words in nature, you also express tone and respect in tone and communication. And I think that that's one of the reasons why the Blackfoot songs, um, I call them um, meditation tones or, or tones of expression. And, um, and they'll be called to sort of help other individuals. Um, they would call them healing songs in, in a sense because you're constantly expressing a positive intention back to that individual through song. So, um, and, but, but you would have to participate in that to understand that because you'd have to feel the vibration of the drum and, and sitting around that group. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot different from reading it in a text and, and, looking, at, and, and looking at just translation. It, it wouldn't be the same. Mm-hmm. So is there an opportunity for people who aren't from the Blackfoot culture, maybe in southern Alberta here, uh, is there an opportunity for them to learn more about the culture, about the language, to get involved, possibly? Um, I, I would say that, that, that there is, but what, what, I, what I, I've experienced that sort of in three different ways. One is when I've taken teachers and individuals like to, to participate in, 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 in the words, whether that's a walk through nature, um, looking at nature um, as an animate system, um, looking for evidence in nature to support the, the curriculum that they're teaching. Uh, you know, we, we often talk about like indigenous math, like, you know, it's really hard to find a concept of, ind- of math from an indigenous perspective, but mm-hmm. if we, if we, look at it from a sort of different set of lens, it's very close to sequence math, like Fibonacci math. Um, again, you're looking at patterns and circles and triangles. You're looking at sequences in, in, in leaves and, and, and pine needles. and So you're looking at sequence. And, and that's the way I've understood math in that sense. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it, from what I've understood, is, is relationships. So... It, it, it is hard to have that conversation because I can speak with another uh, Blackfoot individual that was raised similar like that, and we could understand nature, especially when it's spoken in Blackfoot. But then with a non-Indigenous component, what I use, that, that conversation takes a different turn. That conversation now becomes, well, you always connected to nature. How, how have you done that? Maybe that's your starting point. Mm-hmm. So what I find is that with with uh, non-indigenous people, it's uh, when I have that uh, when I'm working, I, I usually will ask, you know, what is your connection and how do you connect? And does any of that connection can you find an insight into a, a Blackfoot Blackfoot indigenous connection? Mm-hmm. So it's almost as if they have to re reconstruct their frames of references or deconstruct as well. And then sort of start looking at things from again different perspectives, you know, from that animate inanimate perspective, but also from that animate perspective. So I would have to say that there's more tools through an educational sense uh to have those conversations. 
and and I th- I'm thinking that for me I'm finding that those conversations are still like not like now starting to happen as opposed to when I was really young uh, we didn't even touch it we didn't even touch it in the curriculum mm-hmm. um, I know when I was young uh, I think the only indigenous content we had in the curriculum was uh, the Aztecs and Iroquois. And that was like about two or three pages, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so, uh, and, and now there's, uh, you know, we have to uh, cover the TQS 5 with uh, the Alberta curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, Teacher Quality Service 5, about indigenous ways of knowing. So it, it's it's I would have to say it's a new it's it's a fairly new conversation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it sounds like it's happening and and people are are open to it. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for this conversation, John. I think I've I've learned a lot, and I really hope that people connect more with nature today or in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Okay, that was my conversation with John. The biggest thing for me was I loved his storytelling ability. It really drew me in, and I think if we can have more conversations like that, then we're getting somewhere. That's all for me. I'm Michael Bartz. Here's to feeling less in over our heads when it comes to saving the planet. We'll see you again soon. In Over My Head was produced and hosted by Michael Bartz. Sound engineering by Rodrigo Enriquez. Original music by Gabriel Thane. Special thanks to Lisa Pruden and Jessica Gibson. This program was produced with the support of TELUS.